And tonight we're going to look at uh, this title tonight of God, Why God Wants You Full. Why God Wants You Full. Not just half full, but completely full. And we're going to look at some verses. We're going to just read a few, starting with Acts chapter 6, verse 5. We're going to look at those first few verses in, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 5, and it says, And the saying please, this is where they are calling on seven men to uh, step into this role of meeting the need for these widows. And it says, and, and, they, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And verse 8 says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Why God wants you full. Will you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, we come before you. And God, we ask that, Lord, you move and you speak, you alone, through your spirit. That God, that you, God, would take over. And that God, you would say what you want us to see tonight. Through these verses, God, that you want to empower us. That, God, you would give us a hunger. God, you would give us a desire. God, that you would give us, Lord, an overwhelming desire. That your spirit would not just, Lord, be in us, but overflow us tonight. That you want to make us full of your spirit so that you can do mighty things in our life. That's what you're asking. That's what you desire. Not just 2,000 years ago in the early church, but, Lord, tonight, right here in these lives. God, you want to move. And God, I pray that you would speak, you would open our eyes, and give us a hunger like never before. In the name of Jesus and through the power of your Spirit, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God wants you full. And that's what He wants to do tonight. And many times, the reason that we're not full is because maybe we don't desire to be full. I was thinking as I was praying tonight, sometimes we find ourselves, if we don't watch, we will ask God or we'll try to figure out how close can I live to the edge, God? How little can I do to still make it in? And that's not what God wants. It's not this question isn't like the question, are you a person that is a half full glass or a half empty glass? And, and we know that that uh, that analogy is in our culture. But what God wants you to be is a full and running over glass. He doesn't want it to be half full or half empty. He wants you to be completely full. In fact, this word here that says that he was full of the Holy Ghost, this word full is plerez, and it actually means containing within itself all that it can hold. It means you can't put one more drop. Have you ever had a drink in your hand and someone hands you a drink, maybe from a, a drive-thru or maybe someone handed you a drink or you might have done it yourself and you realize when you get the drink in your hand that the, the, the liquid is to the very top and you know you can't even move. There's no way you're even going to 
going to get it in your mouth without some of it getting on you. That's the place that God wants, and that's what he's describing. Now, if you look at, why is this important? Why are you getting so excited? Why is this important? Because this is what God wants. And we can see that in, in Luke, the, who was the writer of the book of Luke, and, uh, and, and, or, yeah, Luke, and he's also the writer here attributed to giving uh, uh, credit for writing the book of Acts. We see that he, that he uses this word. This, he's the only one that puts this together, this word full. He loves this word. By the way, he uses it like 11 times in his two, uh, in his two books that he writes. He uses this term 11 times. It's only 17 times in the entire New Testament. And it's talking about being full of things, completely full. And he is accenting this, and 11 times he uses it. And most of the time he's talking about one thing, being completely full of the power and spirit of God. That's exactly what he's trying to get across is that God wants you not to be partially full. God doesn't just want you to have some of him. God wants you to have all of him. He wants you to be completely full. And then God can do some things in your life. And that's what we're looking at tonight. Why God wants you full? What can God do in your life if you're Full. This this word that he's using full here several times when he's talking about Stephen, he uses this more than any other person. There's a couple of different times he uses it. One, he uses it for Jesus. We're going to look at that in a minute. But two or three times he points out that Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost and Spirit. And he's actually full of more things. But then we see that Barnabas also later is talked about and written about. He was full of the Spirit. And every time you see that the person that's being described in Scripture is full of the Holy Spirit, you need to look at the words around it because you're getting ready to see God's getting ready to do something in that life. God's getting ready to use that person to do something. Why? Because they can't be full without sloshing on someone, without impacting someone around them, without God doing something in them. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be full of His Spirit. And this word spirit here in the, in the Greek is, is pneuma. So he's talking about pleres pneuma, full of the Spirit of God. And so we are going to see that God wants you to be full. What's He want you to be full? Number one, He wants to be full so He can designate you for service. He wants to set you apart. That's what we see in this first verse is that the church is needing a need met. And so through the wisdom given them by the Holy Spirit is to the apostles is let's choose seven men and let's anoint them and set them to take care of this task. Why? Because they want men that are full of the Spirit of God. They know the job will get done. They know that God will bless that ministry. They know that God's going to do great and mighty things. Listen, when we get in trouble is when we try to do things in our own strength. We, we have some good ideals. We have some great desire inside of us. But there is nothing like the fullness of the power of God in our life. You want God to use you. You want Him to bless you. Then you say, Lord, fill me up. Prepare me. God, overflow me hallelujah hallelujah so that he can use you and so that's what's going on here in verse 5 this is the answer and it says in verse 5 and the saying uh, talking about the people please the whole multitude to choose out seven men full of faith and power and it says and the first name it's not a coincidence that the first name that it lists and and luke is giving a little commentary only on one name in this list. We know Stephen is a mighty man of God, and we see that even the name behind him uh, that God's going to use mightily is Philip. But we see here there's a reason 
that this is the first name that these people could choose. The first name when they said choose seven, almost without exception. It doesn't say this, but I can tell you the way it's written here that the first name that these people thought was well, Stephen's got to be one of them. Stephen has got to be one of them because he's such a mighty man of God and he had had such an impact on their lives. And it says, and the saying pleased the whole, <coughs> excuse me, the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. <coughs> excuse me, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. He was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Ghost. In fact, if you read, I'm not going to concentrate on this. This could have been a message in itself. But we see that scripture, if you look at all the times that it's talking about this, this word full here, this plerez, it says that he was full of five different things. It says that he was full of the Spirit. He was full of wisdom. He was full of faith. He was full of grace. And he was full of power. Wow, what a wonderful man. Hey, listen, isn't that who we want in our churches? We need people that's full of all these things so that God that says, here I am, use me, God. I want all you got of me. And God can do mighty things. That's who God's looking for. Is people that is willing to say, God, you fill me up. Here I am, emptied myself. I, I, I pour me out, Lord. Get me empty of everything within me, and then you fill me with your goodness. And so we see that he, and it says that he was full of faith in this verse and filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, in the King James, it it says it uses this word uh, uh, faith. Uh, pistis, but in almost every, I was looking at different translations, and in and, and almost all the other, in fact, I couldn't find another one, I didn't look, I looked like four or five, almost all the rest of them uses, that's wonderful, he's full of faith, why is he full of faith in the King James, he's full of faith because he's put his complete confidence in God, there's such a change in his life, that he can believe God to do anything, and he does, we see that evident in his life, but the other translations uses the Greek word charis, which is grace. He's full of grace. And, and, and so it, what, what this word can mean, and, and some writers were saying it's because probably his life was so transformed when he got saved and what God done and transformed his life that it was a testimony to everyone else of how much God had done and how powerful God's spirit was in his life. Uh, as I was reading that, the reason I'm bringing this out is because I, I, I was thinking, I just had a conversation this week with one of my friends about my brother-in-law that passed away a few years ago with cancer. I uh, was a minister, and he was uh, my, one of my closest friends. It, it was Roy, my brother-in-law. And, and man, we were, we were close, and we did everything together, and he was a, a wonderful guy. But let me tell you something. A wonderful guy. I said, wonderful guy. He was a wonderful guy because of God. But let me tell you something. I, there was something about his life, and, and I I would hear stories of what he used to be. I didn't get to know him before he got saved. But I, I heard stories of what he used to be. And when I would see his life and how God had transformed him, and he would tell me some things of the way his past used to be. And when I would look at the contrast of where he used to be and where he was now, uh, before he passed away, all those years that I knew him, and I seen the difference, it was a testimony of the cherish, the grace of God and how much giving him what he didn't deserve is giving him such a change in his life, just his life all by itself was a testimony. And so that's one of the things that was a testimony about Stephen's life. His life was a living testimony of how God transforms lives, takes him from darkness to light. 
What a wonderful thing is when our lives can be so different. And I know even in my life, so different from who I used to be to who I am now. It doesn't mean that I've arrived. I haven't arrived. But I can tell you who I used to be is a man that I have to say, thank God he's dead. Thank God that that man isn't alive anymore. Why? Because the cherish of God, the, the, the mercy, the grace of God in my life has transformed me. And thank God he's not done yet. He's still working. So God wants to designate you for service. And when he does it, if you'll just yield yourself to him, if you'll just say, God, give me a hunger. God, overflow me with your presence so that I can. You know what? First, he'll give you the will. If you get full of the spirit of God, he'll give you the will to do something for him. And when you do, then God is able to empower you to do it and then direct you and do all the work. But you just have to be the one who says, God, here I am. Lord, you use me. You do something in my life. You change me. We see that's exactly what God did in Jesus' life. Uh, in fact, same writer, uh, 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 Luke is writing here in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. He's talking about the Lord. And Jesus here, he's been 30 years old. And we see him when he's 12, or when he's born. We see him again when he's 12 years of age. For the next 18 years, we don't see him. But he's growing in the, in the things of his father. And, and he's his heavenly father and his earthly father. And he's, he's getting closer. Uh, uh, and he is getting prepared for ministry. At age 30, his ministry begins. But before he does his first miracle, before he reaches one lost son, so this is what it says, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. This is uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. It says, and Jesus, being full, Perez, of the Holy Ghost, Numa, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus came and his ministry is beginning. And the first thing that he does, he gets baptized and filled with the Spirit of God. The, the, the dove comes down and, and recognizes Him and it shows that He's full of the Spirit and God recognizes Him and His Son and immediately it leads Him. We see that that Spirit is leading Him. And so we see that He was full of the Spirit before He could do the work He needed to do. Luke is saying, hey, the reason He could do it. Why? Full of the Spirit of God. Hey, not only that, we know that John the Baptist was full of the Spirit from his mother's womb. He was going to be the forerunner of Christ. And the Spirit filled him from his mother's womb so that he, even his mother, filled with the Spirit so that he would be able to go forth and do what God has designated him to do, to accomplish what he wanted him to do. And we also seen that Paul, when he was the, uh, the one that was persecuting the church and God came to him and revealed himself to him and he, uh, 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 the light knocked him off his horse and he he was blinded and then he found out that God, Jesus, who he's persecuting, is the Savior. And he wants, he has a purpose and a call to set him apart and to use him. And he has to wait three days. And then when Ananias prays for him fearfully because he knows who he's praying for, the Lord let him know, hey, I got a great purpose for him. I'm going to let him know he's going to suffer a bunch of things. But you need to pray for him because he needs healed and he needs filled with the Holy Ghost. And Scripture says that Ananias laid his hands on him and says, Paul, the Lord or Saul, God's got his hand upon you and he's going to deliver you so that you can see and he needs to fill you with the Holy Ghost and he prayed for him and before he became Paul he was filled with the Holy Ghost full of the Holy Ghost and man did God was he able to use him you know what, I, I've said here and I, I say and I pray, God, let that be my desire. God, let that be my desire, Lord, that I want to be full. I don't want there to be any room for anything else. God, I want it to be you because when you're full, 
man, God can use you. So I want him to use me, don't you? So we see that, that we need, God wants you to be full so he can designate you for his service. Not only that, he wants to demonstrate his power through you. He wants to demonstrate God's power through you. Verse 8 goes on and talks about Stephen. And we see it again. And it, when it talks about him and it says, And Stephen, here it is again, full of faith and power. And what happened? He's full. He's to the top. So what's the response? I said, look at those words. See what it says happens around those words. And it goes on and says, what happens when he's full of the power of God? It says, he did great wonders and miracles among the people. He did the miraculous. Why? Because he has full confidence in the Lord. The Spirit of God is so full in him, he can believe for anything. The God's Spirit has changed him so much, he can see how God can do anything in other people's lives and so that he has no trouble believing God to meet the miraculous needs of others. And in fact, the Lord told us that he was going to do that. In fact, he says, hey, the things that you've seen me do, and we know that that's the Lord continued was healing and meeting needs and raising the dead and feeding the hungry and meeting every need that he came in contact with, doing the miraculous. And he said, hey, you see what I'm doing? You're going to do greater. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. When I die and I'm raised again, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be sitting by the right hand of the Father, and you're going to be able to do greater things than I've even done. I'm sending my spirit. I'm going to send my spirit to enable you to do greater things than even I have done. So he believes it. And so he's taking this word and he believes what the Lord had said he was going to do. And he demonstrates that. He is able to demonstrate God's power because he believes him and he trusts him. And when he lays hands on people, he believes God's going to move and God does the miraculous. Now, I've got a question for you. We don't see that a lot. We don't see God doing the miraculous. Does that mean that evidently God meant that this was to only be 2,000 years ago? What some people believe that the reason that we don't see it, it all the time. Now, I've seen it. Hey, I think most of you all have seen God do the miraculous. But we don't see it on a regular basis. And I really believe the, the answer to the question is not that God was just trying to show us His power in the book of Acts and it wasn't for any other time. The lives of these apostles and when they're gone, it goes with them. No, no, no. I believe God wants to be so real in your life. God wants to move so real in your life. And God wants to do miraculous things even today. In fact, in other countries where there's not the unbelief that there is, when they hear the Word of God, they're able to see the miraculous happen. But because we've heard it our whole lives, because we have downplayed it because we've watered it down sometimes we don't see it because maybe we don't want it enough maybe we're not willing to say God more than anything else Lord don't let anything else happen Lord let the most important thing in my life be you and the fullness of your power that you would move and do the miraculous listen I'm believing God that that's going to happen in these last hours Lord even in this church I've been praying God do the miraculous let people see your power again you promised it that you would do the miraculous you promised you would heal you promised you would deliver you promised you would send your spirit and I'm asking him to do that in our church in our community in our land we need to see it because people needs to see the real power of God so instead of turning to all the craziness that they're turning to right now they're looking for something real and that realness is the fullness of the power of God and he's ready to pour it out today and he's ready to demonstrate his power but are we wanting him are we vessels that he can use to demonstrate his power are we hungry for God to fill us so full that he can demonstrate his power. He'll do it. He'll do it if we just get hungry for it. Don't wait for me to get it. Don't wait for someone else and say, I can't hope that happens. I'd like to see that happen. I can't wait to come and see that happen. 
Why don't you ask God if he touches your heart, if he draws you, if your heart's hungry for that? Why don't you say right now, Lord, let it be me. God, let me be a vessel that you can use. Lord, that you could even do the miraculous through me. I make myself available. He wants to do that. He wants to fill you full. He wants to fill you full just so that he can demonstrate his power through you. Oh, not for your pride, but so that others would see him. Why else does God want you to be full? So he can declare God's word through you so that he can declare. And so we see that this uh, Stephen was his ministry was short, but it was a powerful. It was a mighty uh, uh, move that God used him to accomplish. We see in verse nine and every time this is the way it works, isn't it? Every time God moves, the enemy tries to come against it. The enemy wants to to stop and to thwart the efforts of God. We've seen it in Jesus Christ, his ministry. Every time he did anything, the enemy would come against him, trying to discourage his ministry and stop him from being to receiving glory and for them to see God. And Jesus said, you're going to experience the same thing. If you're my children, I'm there. My name's above every name. But you're going to face opposition. And so he, we see that Stephen did face incredible opposition. We see it in verse 9. It says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. Now, there isn't a lot of information about these. There, there was speculation. These could be people the, that had been previously some of the descendants of those that have been in slavery or those that have been servants and that had been captives, uh, maybe prisoners of war, but they don't know much about them. But it, it tells that they were the Cyrenians and Alexandrians and them of Cilicia and of Asia, and they disputed with Stephen. They argued with him. They didn't want his voice. They did not want to hear about this Jesus Christ. They didn't want to hear the truth of the good news. They wanted to dispute with him. Let me tell you something. This, this is what we're going to see this evident in, in the life of Stephen. Because he was full of the Spirit, they were not able to defeat his voice. They were not able to, uh, uh, to compel others to believe them. They realized that what they were saying held no weight. What they were saying had no impact. But when this man Stephen spoke and he gave the word of God, it was with such power, it was with such anointing, something that they did not have, that it was compelling people to believe and to reach out and take hold of it. How do we know this? It says, and they were, in verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. That tells us that the spirit of God, isn't that what scripture says? Don't try, don't even think, don't try to prepare what you're going to say whenever you come against the enemy and the enemy tries to defeat you when you're going to stand and testify before uh, others for me. Don't try to prepare something. Just make yourself full and let me fill you to the full. And then when you get before them, just let me speak through you. Let me speak through you with my spirit and I will overcome. I will and it says here that they could not resist. It was like when he said stuff, they tried to put a barrier up to stop what he was saying, but they couldn't do it. Why? He was full of the Spirit. Oh, isn't it, isn't it powerful? Don't you know the difference? Have you heard testimonies? Have you heard the anointing in such a way that when people spoke, when someone testified, when someone told maybe even what God had done for them, the anointing was so rich that, that tears flowed down your face? Why? Because of the mighty power of God was alive in that word. There was a life to that word, and that's what was going on. They could not resist. This 
spirit that was full and overflowing was resisting and pushing down the darkness that they were trying to give. Luke 21, 15 says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. This is Luke writing in the book of Luke saying that this is what the Lord, this is actually the Lord speaking these words and telling the disciples, telling believers, that's what I'm going to do. Once I go to the Father, I'm going to give you a voice. And when I speak, I'm going to speak through you. And those that are coming against you that tries to oppose the gospel will not be able to do so. But you will be victorious. One of the most amazing men that I knew, a Christian apologist, If I, when I even hear that term, there's one name comes to mind, and he passed away just recently, and that's Ravi Zacharias. If you've ever heard the ministry, the, the, the uh, wonderful speaking, and, and the, he was a Christian apologist, uh, originally I think from India, and he had this accent. I remember I used to hear him on the radio many years ago, and I was like, man, I've got to see what, you know, this is, the internet was kind of early, but I would hear on radio stations this Ravi Zacharias at night speaking, and he was, uh, uh, would either debate, or, you know, he, he is a Christian apologist that would go to the higher educations, I mean to Harvard, to the greatest uh, campuses, or uh, the people that were the most learned people that felt that was atheist, that didn't believe in God, would want to challenge him to think that they could cause people to see that what he's saying wasn't true. And I mean, every time he had such a wonderful uh, ability, he was such a a man full of uh, the power of God. But if you look at, let me back up. If you look at where he came from, that wasn't where he always had been. In fact, when he was younger and a teenager, he was he was very skeptical that there was anything true to to God, and and that God was not even real. And he got so desperate, he got so uh, tired of life. He got he kind of come to the end of himself, and he felt like he was miserable, and there was nothing to live for. He tried to commit suicide at age seventeen. And he had lived through that, and, and he was in the hospital, and he was just hopeless, and he didn't, know, uh, he didn't know what he was going to do. And in the middle of that misery where he was sitting there thinking, I failed even at this, and he's sitting there, there was a hospital worker that with very little saying anything, he came and left him a Gideon's Bible there in his room. And something happened when he picked up that Gideon Bible. And I don't remember where he started reading. But when he started reading that Bible, the word of God became so powerful to him. God spoke to him so powerfully to let him know that he was real and that he loved him. That he gave his heart and life to the Lord. And he didn't just give it to him the half full. He gave him everything. And he consumed that word. And he became stronger and stronger in the word of God. And became educated. And he became a student of the word to where he was able and what his wonderful technique was he never seemed to get angry he could be against those that were opposing him in such uh, uh, anger and such hate and he was able to with soft words to give a clear demonstration of the power of God and how God 
is real and how God transforms life. And I'm telling you, every time I've seen him, he just challenged me. He just died just a, just a few weeks ago. He went on to see the Lord. Now he's there at the right hand of God, just like Stephen ended up. And he was such an effective uh, uh, word of God to be able to speak. So God wants to fill you and I full with his spirit so that he can declare God's word. So we've seen he wants to designate you. He wants to demonstrate through you. He wants to declare his word through you. What else? Number four, he wants to display his glory through you. In chapter 6, this chapter, verse 15 says, and all that sat in the council, they brought him before the Sanhedrin and they brought him to the court. And they, in fact, th this we see that they were willing to twist the truth. They took some of the things he said and they, tr they, they supplanted. They had people that would come and was going to testify to, to, to try to instigate just like they did Jesus. And that's the way the culture was and that's the way it is today. If you have a voice that is opposing what they believe, they're going to do whatever it takes to shut you down, shut you up, get you off the picture. They don't want you to have any part. And so they were going to go around and stir up a, a, a dissension and problems and they drug him to the Sanhedrin and now he's standing there before them and now he knows his life is in the balance. Yet it doesn't seem to impact him at all. And so he, they ask him, is this true? And we see that he compels them and he gives them the gospel from the beginning, from Abraham all the way through pointing to Christ. And at the very end we see that he points a finger back at them and says, you are the very ones that have crucified him and you are the ones that's not listening to the word. Wow. He wants to display God's glory. We see in verse 615 that we see God's glory in a way that we don't see except for Moses. And we see in 615 it says, And they all sat in the council looking steadfastly on him. Steadfastly means their eyes were fixed on him. Why is their eyes fixed on him? It wasn't just what he was saying that they were looking on. It tells us here, why were they fixed on him? They saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. What is it talking about there? Why? You know, when I read that the first time, what do you mean he seen him as an angel? What, did they, what were they seeing? And, and when you look at this, this is the same thing that in Exodus chapter 34, Moses has been on the mount with the Lord for 30 days. He's been there, and he's been there communing with God, and God's gave him the commandments. He's been in the presence of God for day upon day. And when he comes off the mountain carrying these stone tablets, they ended up having to put a covering over his face. Why? Because he was so close to God. He'd been so in tune in the presence of God, so close to God, that even his skin was shining bright with the presence of the Shekinah glory of God. They had to cover his face because they couldn't even look at him. And this is what it's describing here, is that as they looked at Stephen, he is so close to God. He is so in tune with the presence of God. The Spirit is so full in his life that even his skin is radiating with the brightness of the glory of God. Wow, what a wonderful testimony that you are so full of God that it even impacts what others see when they look at you. Isn't that what God wants to do anyway? God wants our lives to be vessels that he can use so that when others see you, they don't see you, but they see God through you. They see God instead of you, and that's what they're seeing. Their eyes are steadfastly set upon Stephen. Why? Because his glory of God is shining through him. Why? He's not looking at... We don't see him one time in these texts. This is amazing when you read this. 
If you and I were in this court and we realize that we are going down the same exact path that happened to Jesus, when you realize of who you're in front of and they're one question away from saying, kill him, he knew that, yet he never takes his eyes. We're going to see him. He doesn't take it off the Lord. He is so fixed on pleasing God, so fixed and so he's here on earth, but yet his spirit is reached out and he's took hold of heavenly things and the glory of God is being displayed through his life. So we see here that God wants to designate his presence through you. He wants to demonstrate his power through you. He wants to declare his word through you. He wants to display his glory through you. Number five, he wants to deliver conviction through what you say, through the, to the lost. He wants to deliver conviction through you. Acts chapter 7, 54, he's just told them. And he's told them about the, the, uh, uh, what God has done and how his plan of salvation came through and that just like the Old Testament and, and, and all through these years that people, the, the Jewish people had always, they'd crucified or, or killed the prophets that was predicting the coming of the Son of God. They would never listen. Here they are supposed to represent God. They're supposed to be the representation of God to the world. And yet even when God speaks to them, they reject his message. They didn't want anything to do it. They're willing to even lie to take out someone that has an opposing view. They're willing to do whatever. And he points a finger back at them and says, you are the ones that has killed the Messiah and you are the ones that have deafened your ears. And he's telling them that you're doing the same thing that they've done before. You're doing it again. And what happens? It says, and what do we see their response was in verse, or chapter 7, verse 54. And when they heard these things, when his, the Spirit of God was done speaking through him, it says they were cut to the heart. That word cut means their hearts were sawn through. They, was, they, could, they tried to resist him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. But when he got done, he laid them bare. The words he said penetrated the very core of their heart. They couldn't resist anymore. The spirit penetrated the darkness of their heart and they didn't like it. They didn't want it. I was thinking of um, I was thinking of, you know, in my life, there's been many times that there's been ways I've been going and God would reveal to me. I remember the first time I heard B.H. Clendenin preach, and I remember uh, sitting in the service, and then five minutes into it, he's already stomping my toes flat. He's saying things, you know, he's saying, if you can ever think of a time that you were ever closer to God than you are right now, you're backsliding. <laughs> you're moving the wrong direction. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I, I, that's me. I'm there. And he was saying things, and it was like, oh, oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. But you know what? Here's the difference. We need to, we, if God has his way in your life, when God steps on our toes, when God reveals the dark, when God's put his finger on things in David's life, and he said, you're the man, David. You're the one that's got hidden sin in your life. And when God's put his finger in my heart and said, that's something you've got to get out of your life. Listen, we can respond one of two ways. We can say, let's shut down the voice. We can say, let's shut it down. We don't want to hear it anymore. And maybe if we put out the voice, maybe this feeling will go away. Or we can say, Lord, woe is me. God, woe is me. I'm guilty as charged. God, please have your way. Cleanse me. Have your way in our lives. And that's not the way they were. They wanted to put out the voice. And God delivered conviction and their hearts were cut. And they were convicted of what they had done. And they knew that they were uh, uh, guilty. 
You know, we are in a culture right now. This has never been as evident in our lifetimes as is it right now. When there is an opposing voice, when there is people that opposes you, and they will tell you, you know, even as Christians, when they don't believe what we believe, when they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, when they don't believe that there is a God, when they don't believe the things that we preach from these pulpits, their answer is, they, they, first of all, they say we're intolerant because we believe different. Not because we're shoving it down their throats, but because we preach the Word of God. That we believe it, we live by it, and this is the way, we've, and this is the way our country's been since it's founded. This is the living Word of God. We believe it. We believe every word. We don't, can't take out the things we don't like. We can't take the sins that we want to live, and we take them out of the book and just live by the rest of it. But we have to accept it all or none. That's the way it has to be. And when we preach that, they say we are intolerant. We're intolerant. Why? Because we don't believe like they do. We don't believe. We tell something that the Word of God. This is not our opinion. This is the living Word of God. And when we preach it, there is an intolerance to that. But what the most amazing thing is, is that we sometimes get to be declared that we're intolerant. But those that are opposing the Word of God, those that oppose the view that we have, it's not that they just want to give their opinion, but they, the, the end result many times is they try to stamp out the Word so that it can't go forth. That is their opinion, just like it was here. If they can shut up that voice, if they can drown out that voice, if they can get rid of that voice, then that causes what's left standing to be their word and what they believe and therefore they can exalt that as truth. Let me tell you something. There's one thing that has never... They've, there's been world leaders throughout all history that has said that there is the Word of God and Christians are going to go by the wayside. They're never going to be remembered again. And let me tell you something. You can't even think of their names right now. But I can tell you right now, the living Word of God is still being preached. The living Word of God is still going forth. And it will through all eternity. There is no way that they can put out the Word of God. There's no way that they can push down the power. Oh, they can get rid of you and me. But just like what's going to happen with Stephen when he dies the word of God goes forth in fact when they start persecuting the church as they are driving people out and pursuing them the word of God is being spread throughout the whole known world God uses even the persecution of the church to sow the seed of the gospel throughout the entire world God is going to to deliver conviction through the lives of His people that are full of the Holy Ghost. Have you been around someone that is full of the Holy Ghost and all you've got to do is get in their presence and it makes them nervous. It makes them nervous that they, they know they just feel convicted. There's been people when I was a sinner that I could get in their presence and I knew the life they lived. I knew they believed it. I knew they lived it. And just getting around them was just a testimony to me of who I was because I know who they were. And it reminded me of who he was. And therefore, we are convicted. Why? We don't even have to say anything. Just that spirit and presence of God overflows and touches lives around us if we live full of him. If we don't have, play games with God, not half full, not just partially full, but you get full of the presence of God. And God will reach other people through your life. And that's what he wants to do. I, I was thinking, I'm almost done. Uh, I was thinking about that, that sermon Jonathan Edwards preached. And he's so famous for, if you could think of one sermon he preached, you'll probably think of this one, Sinners in the hand, uh, Hands of an Angry God. He had, and it, it says that he had preached this sermon a hundred times. I, you would think by that time he uh, would have had it perfected, but there was something different the hundredth time. It wasn't because he memorized it so well, but there had been such a move of God in his life. We see that when he preached this hundredth time, 
All of a sudden, the power of God was so real in that place. The testimonies are that people were inside this large building and there's post that's going up to hold the ceiling up on this and people are sitting there and as he preaches this message, the Spirit of God is going forth and pricking their hearts so intensely that it says that people started feeling like the floor was opening up and they were slipping into hell. And it says that people were grabbing the seats. People were grabbing those posts that held up the ceiling. And because they were fearful that the ground was swallowing them up and that the Spirit of God was so real that they felt like hell was right beneath them. Man, let me tell you something. That is what God wants to do in our lives. Thank God that He can reach down with His conviction power and reveal so greatly the sin that's in our life and the darkness and how we're, uh, that we're opposing Him and that He can draw us back. Why does He do that? Because He loves you. Why does He do that? He wants to save you. And so God sends His Spirit and He can do that through His believers when they are obeying Him and they're full of Him and that He can use them. And He wants to do that. He wants to do that. God sent conviction. I remember it so strong when I was younger. I remember this conviction power grip in my life. And I was so miserable. Why? Because I knew that God was real and I knew that I was a sinner. And God gripped me with His conviction. God sent conviction again so strong that men and women are not able to resist it. That light chases away darkness. That men and women are laid bare. That they cannot anymore put out the light. No longer can they push it to the side. But they are left standing there with light being shined upon them. And they must choose to either reject or receive Christ. And that they would receive Him. That's what God wants to do. And then finally, so we see that God wants you to be full, to designate you for service, to demonstrate His power, to declare His word, to display His glory, to deliver conviction through His Spirit, and then finally to direct your attention and their attention to His Son, Jesus Christ. We see here that here He is. When He pointed this at them and He told them they were guilty, it says that they were so furious with what they heard. They screaming this was a rampage they were crazy they held their ears they screamed they rushed upon him they drug him out of the city they're they're not having a trial they're going to kill him just like they did jesus blasphemy uh, uh, uh this is blasphemy we're going and they would take you outside the city and there was a pit that they would throw you down in the pit and then they would take these incredible uh, uh paving stones these large stones big stones, and they would cast them upon the person until they were dead. But we see that as they're doing this, we, ne- we, don't, see, we don't see Stephen, uh, uh, it seems like he's not even focusing on what's going on. He knows what's going on, but his focus never seems to leave the presence of God. He never seems to take his eyes off the things of God. But while they're doing this, this is what it says in verse 55. It says in 55, but he... Here, here Luke is again. He's clarifying. He's saying, hey, you, want, you know how this is going to happen when I'm getting ready to tell you? First of all, you need to realize this first part. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost. He's doing it again. He's full of the Holy Ghost. What's, what are we going to see that's going to happen around that? What are we going to see what, that's going to happen when he identifies this man's full of the Holy Spirit? That's why he's going to get the response. It says that he's, by the way, he's being killed at this very minute. He's being hit with stones, big stones. I'm not talking about gravels. My brother and I used to throw gravels at each other and rocks, and they hurt. Man, they hurt. 
But these were large stones that were, they were just annihilate you. And he is there, and he is being killed, and it says, and he looked up steadfastly. We, a minute ago, we seen steadfastly. They were looking at him steadfastly. Their eyes were fixed on him. Why? They see his face glow with the power of God. They didn't get the message. They didn't repent. They seen God revealing himself right through him. Yet they were staring at him. And what do we see him doing? Now he's staring. He's not staring back at them. What's he doing? It says he's looking up steadfastly into heaven. They're killing him. He's in pain. But he's lost his focus. He's not even feeling this anymore. His eyes are on the eternal. And what do we see? He says, and he says, and he saw the glory of God. That same glory of God that was shining through him. He sees right into the throne room of heaven. And we see that he sees the presence of God. He's getting ready to enter that place. He's getting ready to be the first martyr to enter into that place. And not only does he see the glory of God, but we see something even, even more beautiful is, is this picture that we see. He sees the throne room of God. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. Scripture says he sits on the right hand of the Father. But here... Stephen, who is full of grace, power, and the Holy Spirit, and all that God has to, for his life. He's full of everything. He has finished his course. He has preached the word. He has been faithful to do what God called him to do. He never de uh, deviated from what God asked him to do. And now, even as he is ready to leave this life, we see that he looks into the throne room of God, and we see the Son of God. Stand. Why? Look at him. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how powerful that was. That moment, I think heaven was silent. I think the Lord said, stop. Stop everything. Look at Stephen. Look at that faithful servant who made himself full of me and let me do anything I wanted in his life. And look what I'm doing in him. And now, in a few seconds, this saint, this first martyr of Christian martyr of the church is getting ready to enter his glory. He's getting ready to be here with us. Silence, everyone. Let's look at him. And Jesus stands and looks at him with reverence to him, saying, I'm proud of you. I love you. You're being faithful to me. Listen, that's what God wants to do in your life. God wants to do mighty things in your life. He wants to use you to the fullest. But the way we get there is we allow him to fill us full of his presence and his power. Even in Stephen's greatest test, his eyes are upon God. The spirit is still full. It's still overflowing. And he uses him. He steps into glory. You know what? Even as he, even as he takes his last breath, what's he doing? Same thing that his Savior did. He's praying, God, don't hold it to their charge against them, what they're doing to me. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that familiar with what Jesus did himself? How can you do that? How can you have that spirit in you? Be full of the spirit of God. Be full of the spirit of God. And no matter what he takes you through. Listen, you may think that's a sad ending, but no, that's a wondrous ending. That's a powerful ending. And do you know that, that all that you may think, well, that was horrible, that God failed. God, No, let me tell you something. God used this very moment right here 
to push the gospel faster than it would have ever gone any other way. He used this to cause even it impacted even Saul who become Paul, who at this moment is enraged because of what he'd seen and what he'd heard and the conviction that he felt because of this man's testimony. He was enraged and he come after the church with all of his might. And it didn't the only reason that he started persecuting the church. Why was he having to go all these places? Because the church was spreading and the word of God was going forth. Why? They seen the power of God in Stephen and they're being persecuted and they're chasing him and the word is God is going wherever these people go. They're telling the word of God. And so Paul is, Saul is getting ready. He's trying to chase them and persecute them and God strikes him down on that road to Damascus and God transforms uh, uh, Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament, the greatest part of the New Testament and became one of the greatest apostles and we see that God did it. How did he do it? Through this sacrifice right here. It God done mighty and incredible things. This wasn't a failure. This is one of his greatest successes. And God can do things in your life. No, it doesn't mean you're going to have to lose your life. But God, you know what? We do have to lose our life in that we, to be full of God's presence there, we have to die of our own self. We have to say, God, pour me out. God, you have your way. God, I want to be so full of your presence that the things that's important to me, God, let it be you. Let my eyes be on you. Let my desires be in you. Let me, Lord, fulfill all these things that you want to do in my life. And God will do it. But God's eyes is looking even right now. Even right now, looking for who will hunger for me. Who wants me to the full? Who wants me to overflow? Because too many today are saying, how little can I get by? How many times do I have to be in the house of God? How much do I need to put in an offering? How many things do I have to do for somebody else to make it in? It's almost like the young man that comes running to Jesus. Lord, what must I do? But he's not willing to pay the complete price. Listen, I, I, I just want to say as I'm closing, sometimes it's like, well, that's you're asking too much. Let me tell you something. We don't realize what the difference of this life here is, that when we surrender and are full of the Holy Spirit, you have the greatest joy that you'll ever have. You grave to have the greatest contentment. And oh, having, uh, we have the greatest reward that you could ever have when we live our life full. That's what I want. And I pray that the Lord stir us, that we all desire God to have everything He wants in our lives as we surrender to Him. Do you want that tonight? I pray you do. I pray that you, <clears throat> that I haven't belabored this too much, but that you desire God to have all of you, every ounce of you, and that you want His Spirit to overflow because that's what He wants. He didn't give Spirit to just partial. He gave it overflowing and that's what he wants to do tonight but you have to make yourself available it's up to you he won't force it he doesn't force us to get saved he doesn't force us to get overflowing with the spirit it's us it's up to us and i pray god give me more give me more give me more have your way speak through me do what you want god help me get my focus on you i do it all the time lord please because so many things can distract us i know and i want him to have his way don't you i hope you do Tonight, as we pray, first of all, I, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I want those, there could be someone watching. You don't even know him. You don't even know him. And I just want you to know that you can receive this powerful presence of God in your life. And all you have to do is ask him to forgive you of your sins. If he's shining his spirit in your heart and you feel conviction, if you feel that, I need God, that 
guilt in our hearts, then all you have to do, Scripture says, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll wash you clean. He washes us to where we don't have sin in our life anymore. It's all washed away. He can't see one thing you've ever done before because He's washed it through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, what a wonderful testimony. And that's the first step before you can have this fullness of God's power. So let me pray for you first, and then we're going to pray for everyone to be full tonight. We, and for you all that are Christians, would you pray? Because we don't know. God uses this, and people see. We don't know. But God ministers through His Word, and that's what it's doing. It's going forth tonight. And let's pray. Lord, you see hearts and lives. You know who's watching, God. And God, you're spirit goes before. Lord, before we say it, you're already working. You've got people that you want to see and they need to hear. And God, when you bring them forth, God, then you convict their hearts. And when their hearts are convicted, they can do something about it right now. Lord, don't let one of them, if they don't know you right now and they're watching, that they would not make excuses. Maybe next week, maybe next service. Maybe I'll do it again. Oh, that sounds good, but not for me. No, Lord, convict their spirit right now. God, convict their heart so that they feel their need for you. And God, they'd be willing to call out on you right now. Lord, let them call out on you. Let them confess their sin, that they're sinners. Let them ask you to come into your, their life right now. And Lord, then you do like you've done in my life and so many others. Lord, that you be faithful and that you flood their life with your presence so that all of a sudden darkness becomes light. So that the hope fills them, Lord, that like it did even in my own life. God, that I knew without a shadow of a doubt I was saved and that you had done such a transformation that I was never going to be the same because of what you've done in my life. Lord, let them feel your spirit. And God, as they ask you to forgive their sins, that, Lord, you would do it right now. And that, God, we get testimonies of your mighty faithfulness. Lord, you save today. Lord, you're saving on Wednesday night. And, Lord, I thank you for that, Lord. Now, God, I pray for the others, Lord, for us that need you more. God, that we wouldn't make excuses. God, we wouldn't just say, well, Lord, I'm okay where I'm at. No, God, that every one of us, from, from, from the greatest to the least, God, that we would, Lord, that we would just hunger for more, that we would never be satisfied less than being completely full and overflowing. God, even if we feel your spirit, God, overflow us more. God, give us a desire. God, that we say, Lord, in these last hours, use me, God. And you can't use us, Lord, unless we completely surrender to you, God. I don't want to see how close, Lord, I can make it. I don't want to just barely slip in, Lord. I don't want to have that desire because, God, I don't know. There's going to be people that's missing it because they're trying to stay on the edge. But, God, I want you to have everything. I want you to have completely all of me. And, Lord, all these that are watching, that they would give you all of them. And God, that you would do such a work in their life that they would every day get closer and closer because they would see the joy that fills their life as they give you more. They give up things and they give you more and they hunger for you more and other things becomes less important. All of a sudden they find out, Lord, the joy they've been looking for isn't in things, it isn't in possessions, it's in the presence of God. Lord, do it. God, we need it in this last hour. Lord, that's how we pray more effectively. That's how we see our families reach. That's how we see souls reach. That's how we become, Lord, that vessel you can use. It's when we surrender all to you. Do it, Lord. Do it. You're trying. You're stirring. You're stirring me, Lord. Stir us, God. Do it, Lord. And I thank you that you're going forth. Your word's going forth. And it brings life with it. Thank you that you're not done yet. And God, for what you've done even tonight, this Wednesday night service. Oh, God, fill us overflowing. Fill us overflowing. Tonight, I thank you that you've done it, that you're working, God, that you're able to use this little uh, service, God, to do things for your kingdom. God, continue working. And, Lord, bless lives. And, God, strengthen those that need you, those that are heavy, those that are sick, those that have needs. 
that they'd realize you're the answer. You are still the answer, God. Your power is the answer. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name.